What's good, everybody? Welcome to episode 52 of the Speak My Peace podcast. As always, I am your host, Greg Lacey. Every episode, we're 52 episodes in, and it still feels weird that I announce myself and follow with a clap. I don't know why, but it just feels weird, and I feel like a loser doing so. But I'm going to keep on doing it, but <laughs> I just have to blurt that out because it's on the top of my head. Um, anyways, before we do get into anything, I do want to wish a very happy birthday to my oldest nephew, BJ, who turns four today. Happy birthday, BJ. Welcome to the Speak My Peace podcast. If it's your first time listening, welcome. If this is not, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to the Speak My Peace podcast. Um, I guess we just got to get right into it. This coronavirus, quote unquote, outbreak is is ramping up. I felt like I was never going to be affected by it just because of my immune system and my health. I feel like I take very good care of myself for someone who's 27 years old uh but that's beyond the point you know you can be affected by this in many different ways and now i am officially affected by it my home gym the gym of my apartment complex is now closed as of monday uh under california order and aside from that from the time that i recorded the last podcast until now a lot of stuff got canceled a lot of stuff were canceled before but um, I didn't report on it, but a lot of stuff are for sure canceled or postponed. And now we are starting to see just the effects around the world of people who were, you know, planning uh, a vacation around certain events or just, you know, everyday thing. Like one of my everyday. I don't know. I don't, it's not a one of my everyday things when I come home from work is. To watch some basketball, you know, I usually watch a show or two, but one of the main things I like to do is at least watch one basketball game. By the time I do get home, it's like the second half of the, if it's a doubleheader, whether it's on ESPN or TNT, I usually watch the second half of the NBA, of that NBA game. And so now I'm affected by it because me as a sports fan, I don't have any, I'm not going to say I don't have anything to watch because I know it's a lot of people out here that are like, panicking or fake panicking like oh i don't have nothing to watch because basketball is not on or whatever it's not on i'm not that person because i do have a lot of stuff to watch I, I watch a lot of tv probably too much um i watch a lot of shows i watch a lot of movies and stuff like that so i don't think i would never not have anything to watch but the thing that i want to watch you know the thing that i like to do the past time is is watch basketball now i don't have that and we're in the middle of march you know right about now it will be in the beginning stages of March Madness. March Madness will have begun, I believe, Monday. And now we don't have any college basketball going on. And it's just crazy, man. A lot of concerts, a lot of festivals, obviously, were canceled um, to combat this. I know Coachella was, Coachella and Stagecoach was postponed, I think, until like October. Uh, I don't know if both were postponed to October, but I know for sure Coachella was postponed to October. Coachella is probably the the biggest music festival there is it's probably the music festival um year in year out um other music festivals follow suit i know for real something in the water postponed theirs um the dreamville fest that was uh ran by j cole's postponed 
And one of the most intriguing postponements or cancellations was South by Southwest. For my listeners who may not know what South by Southwest is, um, South by Southwest is a, a music festival that happens every year around this time, I believe. It's either March, like late March or early April. It happens in, in Austin, Texas. South by Southwest has gained a lot of notoriety because that's like the concert that a lot of people do go to because it's not only I'm not a concert. That's, it's not only a music festival, but it's like a tech festival. There's also they have uh, um, film festivals and a lot of it's a lot of like stuff in a hotbed of one area, Austin, Texas. So it's a very like. I wouldn't say it's one of the biggest, but it's a very like hot commodity just because of the fact that it has all those things in one places, one place. I'm sorry. And also due to the fact that a lot of people get discovered there in the terms of music, a lot of up and coming artists, that's where the majority of times they're discovered. Because You know, one of the most important things about discovering a new artist, whether it's rap, rock, uh, R&B, pop, whatever the case may be, is seeing what this artist has to offer on a live set, because that's where a lot of artists are making their money in this day and age is on tour. So a lot of artists are discovered by South by Southwest. So it's been a staple for the past, I would say, the greater half of this past decade or probably more. And that had been canceled. But that's not the fact. That's not the reason why it's intriguing. I just had to give you guys the background on what South by Southwest is. South by Southwest cancellation is intriguing because unlike every other festival, because and we're going to get into the financial everything. But obviously, when you cancel something, you postpone something, your company is going to be your bottom line of your company is going to be affected because one people have paid for tickets for something that's not going to happen. So now they want tickets back, AKA refunds Two, you put all your money, you shove all this money into the, the promoting of this event. You put all your money into the planning of this event. You put all your money into just everything to go around to, to make sure that this event happens when it's supposed to happen and make sure that everything is in place by the time this event starts. So that's a lot of money that you're not going to be able to get back as a company. And then that's a lot of money that you had to give back as a company. And you had to figure out the right way to do it. We have seen some companies come out and say, you know, hey, it's canceled this year, but we're going to bring it back next year. Um, I think in the case of the Dreamville Fest, which was the J. Cole, the fest that J. Cole's company, uh, Dreamville's record company, Dreamville holds. I think their attack on this was they canceled this year's festival and they either allowed fans to go to next year's for free or get a refund. I had to uh I had to go on the actual Instagram where I saw it. But I believe the way that they decided to tackle this was basically it was some way where either they was allowing fans to get it for free uh next year or to just let this roll over to the next uh let me read it. We recognize there's been a lot of questions about the status of the dream, blah, 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 blah. Why the state of North Carolina, blah, blah, blah. Why the, um, our team is extremely committed to bringing the event to fruition for all the Dreamville family. And we can't wait to see everyone in August. We also have a very appreciative city, blah, blah. Originally, we were scheduled to announce the festival lineup. Wait. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I skipped over a whole important thing while I'm saying blah, blah, blah. Okay, so. We are excited to announce that Dreamville Festival will now take place on August 29, 2020. Oh, so they pushed it back. It was just postponed back to August and will remain at the Dorothy Dix Park. All tickets for the April event will be honored for the rescheduled date for any current ticket buyers. 
unable to attend the rescheduled event, refunds will be offered. So that's great. Shout out to, to the whole Dreamville team for, for offering that uh, option. Um, then, as I said, I've seen other companies saying that, you know, hey, it was postponed and it was a, in the worst case, like at least the Dreamville Fest is pushed back a couple months. I've seen companies say that, hey, you know, we're pushing it back to next year. And if you don't think you'll be able to make it next year, that's fine. We'll give it a refund. But also, you have the option to go to next year event for free because we're honoring the ticket from this year. And you have the option. You'll be the person or one of the first people to have dibs on upgrades to get one of the you know the VIP tickets or VIP bands or whatever the case may be. So it's a lot of like great companies doing that. However, South by Southwest, and I haven't looked back to see if they changed their policy. They're not issuing refunds, which is... I don't know if it's just I'm by myself in saying this, but that sounds crazy, especially for something that was going to happen so quickly. Like all these companies and all these events just started getting canceled last week. And last week was uh, March 13th or March 12th, whatever. It was just it wasn't too long ago. And this event South by Southwest was scheduled to happen late March, early April. And they're saying they're not offering any refunds. Oh, I'm sorry. South by Southwest was March 13th. It's supposed to be March 13th through March 22nd. So that's literally the week of the event that it was canceled and they're not offering the refunds. Again, you guys can correct me and let me know if I was wrong or if they updated the policy. But from the time that it was canceled, they said they're not offering refunds, which it sounds it's, it's sickening. I mean, that just goes to show us how greedy some companies are. Obviously, there's going to be a big lawsuit because, and not even also didn't check that it was, this was, I should have led with that. I also did not check <laughs> that this was accurate. I saw this on social media, which you guys know I hate using as my source of verification. And I also heard this in conversation with multiple friends of mine who, whom I trust with the land or, um, relaying information like this so i believe it to be true i could be wrong and if i am wrong i just wasted a whole five minutes speaking about this and i feel like an idiot but if this is true as it goes to show how greedy some companies are and also if this is true i don't know that south by southwest is going to be around for that much longer with something like this happening because i can't see a lot of lawsuits happening sometime in the future as a result of this so it would be good to keep an eye on how to see how that develops. But I just had to to shed light on that and see just explain how people will be affected by that. Furthermore, um, since the last episode, the, the state of America, period, has has grown to be more affected by this virus. Um, people are being people. We have to think about people like uh, teachers. We have to think about people that work the the nine to five jobs and let's say a shoe store. People work nine to five jobs and uh, a grocery store. The uh, people that work just nine to five jobs that are deemed quote unquote unessential. Those people rely on those paycheck and those people rely on those hours to feed their families, to take care of themselves, to provide for them families, to provide for themselves. To just sustain a a a basic lifestyle, a lot of people re- rely on those hours and and those paychecks that come in as a result of those hours spent working. And 
the fact that a lot of these businesses are closed or a lot of these businesses hours have been shortened or a lot of these businesses are not seeing um, that much traffic as they would have in the past. It's going to be a lot of people in, in very bad situations because of this. And I'm still of the belief that this coronavirus, for me personally, I'm only speaking for me personally. I can't speak for all you guys. I can't speak for all you women. I can't speak for anybody. I can only speak for me personally. This virus is still not that crazy to me. I don't think that this virus, and let me knock on wood, because I don't know what can happen once I stop recording this. I don't know what can happen tonight. Um, but I just feel like this virus, it won't, even if I was a catch, I feel like it wouldn't affect me. Um, but again, I just, I always question the severity of it. Um, but the severity of it can be more than physical. It can be financial. It can be emotionally, whatever the case may be. Like, we're seeing people being, you know, held out of jobs. Like me, I'm working from home for the foreseeable future. And we seeing stuff on TV saying that, you know, a lot of this stuff may be going on for the next two to three months. And so when we think about the people who work those nine to five jobs that are deemed, quote unquote, unessential, they don't have any jobs anymore. So now in an industry like a, a grocery store, which is deemed essential, they may, you know, be flooded or overwhelmed with the amount of applicants that's trying to get applicants. I'm sorry, that's trying to get into those positions because those are only jobs that are available because the government has shut down or closed or affected the hours of those companies or those positions or those jobs that are deemed unessential. So my my thoughts go out to all those are affected. I know I have a couple friends that are that are teachers. Um, and, you know, their specs is concerned not only for the fact of, you know, they worry about the, the kids or whatever because they have connection with them. But a lot of them even furthermore worried about themselves. You know, now they have to look for a job because, you know, they've been in this position for however X amount of uh, months or X amount of years. And, you know, that's been their source of income for that long. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're hearing stuff on the news saying that school may not resume until August or school may not resume until September. And so that's a whole uh, what month are we in? We're in March. Uh, so that's a whole four months of people missing out on paychecks, uh, people, people missing out on just their salary and people missing out. Well, I don't know how the benefits are affected, um, but that's way. I don't know how many. Again, you know, it's great to, to save and have rainy day savings and have emergency uh, savings and all that stuff. But I don't know how many people have that many months of saving saved up when we talk about the average American um, just a, just the simple fact that you know you you spend a lot of time dedicating your time to this job and you're like trying to provide for yourself and, and it's hard when you get caught up in a situation like that because you try to set so much money aside from each paycheck and you do it like little by little because you still have to sustain a, a certain type of lifestyle to where your savings may not be deep as an next person who's making X amount more money than you are because you just weren't able to. So my thoughts go out to those to all of you who are affected by that just because of, you know, that's that's something crazy to deal with. Um, I think about I count my blessings when, when stuff like this happened, not to to take advantage or to to speak in spite of someone else's plight. But I think about, you know, months ago, three months ago, four months ago on this podcast, I was speaking about how I was just mentally affected because 
I didn't have a job and it was like taking a toll on me because I couldn't find a job and I had been out of school for so long. And I've also been vocal on this podcast about just why I was so glad to, to graduate last summer because I was scheduled to graduate this summer. And I think about those two things. And I remember I was speaking about this uh, to my girlfriend last night about, you know, everything happens for a reason. I was supposed to still have been in school and I wasn't supposed to graduate this May. If that was the case, that graduation was being postponed in my online and my courses from class was moved to online. And in my four years, four and a half years in higher education, I never took an online class. I signed up for four and I dropped out of every single one within the first week. The majority of them I dropped out of them within the first day of course teaching. Not because they are hard, because I just could not do the online classing. Um, I don't know if it's just my my uh, span. I'm sorry. I keep pausing because I'm recording this. I'm watching this uh, NBA. Uh, I'm watching NBA TV, and they got a NBA. They got a classic game on Michael Jordan scored 69 points, and this is like the fourth quarter, and this nigga's going off. They're playing against the Cavaliers in 1990. Um, anyway, <laughs> to get back on track, I think about just having to. Well, I was talking about just uh, doing online classes. I never took online classes just because of my. I I can't focus that much, especially being on a computer. Like I want to do everything else on a computer. If, if I have a a course to pay along, uh, pay attention to on the computer, I'm also going to be looking up the latest basketball scores. I'm looking at the basketball stats. I'm looking at music. I'm looking at shoes and like this is. I'm speaking from experience. I'm not going to say you know. This is a hypothetical thing. This has happened to where just when when I get into the computer, these are things that I want to do because this is my just natural habit to do when I open the computer. Other than, than doing those things, the only thing I really open a computer to do is listen to music or record a podcast. So this is just a natural habit of mine. And so my time, my time span of uh, focusing on things is very short. I mean, my attention span is, is very short in that sense. So I know that me switching from physical class to online class would definitely hinder my graduation date. So my thoughts are going out to all of you who are affected by this, who are students right now, because that sucks. You know, some people are capable of it, and some people aren't. And I was one of those who weren't. Um, but getting back to speaking about just certain things and me counting my blessings, that was one of the things I was thinking about. Another thing is we talking about was just me stressing about not having a job and then finally found a job, finding finding a job. I am grateful to have found a job to where, you know, the the work that is required is remote capable. What I mean by remote capable is, you know, it's great for my team. It's great for me to be physically in an office because a lot of the stuff that we deal with come with planning. And the best way to plan, especially when and when you're in a group, when it's like four of you, is to bounce ideas off each other, but also to be there to get feedback. Like, you know, if I'm doing something on my computer or if somebody say, hey, Greg, can you do this, blah, 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 and I do it, you know, it's better for me to, to do it and take a stab at it. And they may walk by and take a peek like, hey, you know what you've done so far? And while I'm doing it, they give me the feedback on while I'm doing it so I can adjust there rather than me doing something and then completing that task and then taking it back to them. And then I have done everything wrong. So now I have to scrape that and do it all over again. Um, that is one reason why being physically in the office or physically present in the office is great. But that's not essential 
with what is required within my line of work. So I'm grateful to have been in a job that is remote capable because everything that is needed of me can be done on a computer. Um, and so as long as I have my laptop and as long as I have my mouse and as long as I have Wi-Fi, I'm able to do my work at home rather than be laid off or rather than to be without a work and, you know, me to miss my rent payment because, you know, I don't have the enough money to pay my rent because I'm not getting paid or me just working and, and not getting paid or getting paid less and certain things like that. So I'm very grateful that I have landed a job that was able to take care of me in the sense of this. And again, I'm not speaking about this in spite of somebody's plight, but I'm just had to speak for myself and, and just understand that everything does happen for a reason. Uh, let's move on from that. Uh, one of the great things that I've seen as a re- as a result of this was the NBA's response. Uh, I've spoken about this in the past. The NBA is a world leader in sports. I know I, t- I took that quote right off. I think that's the NBA's uh, slogan, if I'm not mistaken. Um, no, I think ESPN is a world leader in sports is a slogan. But the NBA is a world leader in sports as well. When I think about just how they react to natural disasters, how they react to crises within the league, I think of the the personalities of the player. I think of the marketing of the player. Think of the just everything that the NBA does. I place them above every other sport just because of how they handle things and how they respond to things. So immediately, once the NBA was canceled, the NBA was canceled while there was NBA or the NBA season was was postponed while there was games going on. One of those games that was playing was a Mavericks versus, I forget who the Mavericks are playing against, but if you don't know who the uh, Dallas Mavericks owner is, he is Mark Cuban. You've probably seen Mark Cuban also on the show Shark Tank. Um, he's a great owner, always been a great owner, always been a stand-up guy. And he found out about the season being postponed or the season being canceled in the middle of a game, and they caught like a live reaction of him responding to that news or whatever. Obviously, he was distraught. But they also put a mic in front of his face during halftime and after the game. And his response to this was something that I'm just not surprised by because I have no reason not to think of Mark Cuban as a stand-up guy just from everything that he's exhibited in the time of me being a fan of basketball in regards to how he handles his team and how he handles matters uh, regarding his team. But anyways, during halftime, and he reiterated, he reiterated the statement, reiterated the statement after the game. They asked him, you know, just about the, you know, how he feel about the just the league canceling the season. And he was distraught, but he was also his mind was on his workers because when I think of, when I speak about those nine to five workers, we have to think about the the people who are essential and critical in the operation for a sporting event and a sport arena. Those people, you know, they come to work, they have to do the setup, whether it's concession stand, whether it's uh, the the housekeeping of the, the stadium, whether it's the, the the video board, the digital equipment, whether it's a setup uh, for the actual court. Um, so many jobs, so many jobs that go into a, a sporting arena or a stadium, whatever the case may be. And those people are not for the most part, are not salary-based positions. Those people are nine-to-five jobs, and they get paid off of the days that uh, the team plays in that arena. And for most basketball teams, those those are 41 days. There's an 82-game season, and those teams play at home only half of those games. So those are 41 days out of a, a six- to eight-month league 
uh, six to eight month season. And then on top of that, you know, you may get an extra, let's say, 10 games if your team makes it deep in the playoffs. So at the most, it's 50 days out of a out of a year that you're relying upon, you know, that job. And it may be a, a nice pay, whatever the case may be. And not to get off track, but I just have to give you guys just a breakdown on just what is going in, what why my heart goes out to those workers as well. But anyways, they put a mic in front of Mark Cuban's face after the game, and his that's where his mind was, was his workers. He was trying to think of a way, well, he spoke about it. He was like, I have to think of a way to to help out my my workers in my arena because those people are now laid off jobs for the time being because this was their job. This was the source of income. This is how they were providing for their family. So he was like, I had to uh, basically, and Mark Cuban, he's the owner of a basketball team, who's, so he's a billionaire, if you don't know. But anyways, that's where he was thinking. I don't know where it is now, but I know he was the first person to verbally express that. And I wouldn't, I'm not surprised if he had gone through a, a set in place, you know, the steps that need to be taken in order to make sure these people are taken care of. But that's where his mind was immediately that I had to take care of my people. Um, following that, the next day, Kevin Love, and I had to speak about Kevin Love because obviously he's a, a UCLA Bruin. Shout out to the Bruins. Um, anyway, Kevin Love, he's a forward play for the Cleveland Cavaliers currently. And the following day, after the league was canceled, he had pledged $100,000 to take care of the salaries of the employees within the Quicken Loans Arena. The Quicken Loans Arena is an arena where the Cleveland Cavaliers play. And basically him doing that, he was saying, I'm hoping that many more will follow in my steps so that we can take care of our people. And many people did. A lot of more NBA players, they did the same thing. Whether And the amount doesn't matter. I know a lot of people that gave him backlash was saying that, you know, $100,000 wasn't, it's nothing compared to the salaries you're making because you're getting paid X amount of dollars per year. Yeah, I understand that. But he also could have not have done anything and could have waited for the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who's a billionaire and makes 10 times as much as he's made a year um, to take care of those people. Because essentially those are those people employees, but just him being selfless and understanding, you know, those people, their work is essential to make sure that the arena that he plays in is is up to standard and is very good and is in great condition and enough for the fans to want to return and and create the atmosphere that is required for a NBA game. So shout out to Kevin Love for doing that. Shout out to the many other players that follow suit. I don't know why many other owners did not follow Mark Cuban follow after he expressed his concern for his owner, but for some reason after um Kevin Love did what he did, then many other NBA players follow suit, and then many other owners started following suit. I don't understand why these billionaires, but I guess that's just like that's the 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 phrase, the underlying phrase of capitalism in the country. You know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Um, we have to understand that a lot of these owners of these NBA and NFL teams are billionaires. You have to understand that if there are multiple people on your payroll making ten million dollars, over ten million dollars, there are people getting paid. $30 million, there are people getting paid $50 million per year. You can only imagine what their employer is making. So it's, it's kind of weird to me, but I guess it's, it's not out of character of billionaires in this country and what we've seen historically for them not to take that stand before the players did. Uh, huge shout out to Zion Williamson. I'm pretty sure you guys know who Zion is. If you don't know who he is, I don't know how to <laughs> explain it to you. You should know who Zion Williamson is if you watch basketball. But anyways, the reason why I want to shout him out aside from Kevin Love, Kevin Love is a veteran, so that's you know it's great for him. But he's also well, 
he's well experienced not only in life but he's well experienced in in a sense of I would say handling money just because he's been in the NBA for so long. Um, Zion Williamson is a rookie in the NBA. I believe Zion is 19 years old and he pledged uh, 19. I said 19 million dollars. He pledged one million dollars to take care of the employees of the arena. Uh, the quick not the, I said the quick loans arena. The Smoothie King Arena, which is the arena in which the New Orleans Pelicans, the team that Zion plays for, plays in. And following him doing that, I believe the owner, Dan Gilbert, also either matched him or donated money of himself. But I was just blown away because Zion is a rookie. He's 19 years old. And for him to just be that selfless, it was great to see, but it's not out of character from what I've known of watching Zion for the past four to five years. Just because he's like a very well mannered Southern kid. He was, you know, groomed well by both his parents, I believe. Um all right, I don't know if Zion was raised by a single uh, mother. No, he was raised he was raised by both his parents. I think he has a stepfather. But anyways, like you hear a lot in in stories about Zion and stuff that his mother would do. His mother was very involved and very instrumental in ensuring that he was taking care of himself and making sure that he, you know, was doing everything to get himself on the right path to to get an NBA. But even she was even essential in making sure that he was, you know, taking care of himself and and setting himself up financially and taking care of him, taking care of himself in the sense of making sure he hired the right agent and all stuff like that. Like if you you can Google it right now, Zion Williamson his uh, speech or whatever after he got drafted, you know he broke down in tears. It was a lot of players who broke down in tears once they got drafted, and he was one of the most notable, obviously because he was the first person to get drafted um, for this year's this past year's draft. But he broke down in tears and just giving thanks to his mom and stuff like that. So I'm not surprised by that just because of. I think people, and I spoke about this in the last episode, I think people who are raised by single-parent mothers, and especially single-parent black mothers, and I'm not just singling out a certain you know group or whatever, I'm just speaking from experience, and I could be biased in that sense. But I think that those people are like some of, in a lot of cases, those people are some of the worst people in the world. But from my experience, those people are some of the best and most well-granted people in the world, just because of the fact that they they're raised by someone who has gone through a lot and they've done whatever and sacrificed whatever to make sure that their kids, you know, or or try to set their kids up to make sure that they don't go through the same things they went through or make sure that they're prepared to go into this, this cruel, cruel world. Um, I hope that's my, I mean, obviously this is not going to be my last talk about the coronavirus because it seems like it's about to go on. As I said, a lot of stuff are, a lot of, News I've read is, is stuff is going to be shut down for the next three or four months just based off of this. It sucks, but this is our new normal. We have to we have to learn how to deal with it. We have to learn how to adjust. We have to learn how to stay sane. You know, a lot of counties in Northern California and a lot of counties, I think, on the East Coast have like issue basically like uh, stay at homes. Or a 24-hour lockdown, whatever the case may be, to where governors and mayors are saying, basically, you should not leave your house unless it's for anything essential. And what they mean by essential is unless you are going to work or unless you are going to get groceries or food, which are essential to your life, you should not be leaving the house. Which sounds crazy, but they're trying to do whatever they can to prevent the widespread of this virus. I think of 
documented cases in the country so far. We have like we're up to like two thousand, and I could be wrong, um, but I think we're up to two thousand. When like last year it was nowhere near that, or not last year, last week it was nowhere near that. Um, so I guess it's like that's the main reason why you're wrapping up the responses and wrapping up the the way that you know they're including this nationwide social distancing to where you don't go out in public you know areas or you don't go out to public events and be around people you don't know because you don't know what they have and also you don't know whether you have it and they're trying to prevent basically just the severity and the widespread of this virus. So, I mean, as I said, this is our new normal. We have to find a way to cope about it, uh, cope with it. I just hope all my listeners, hope all you guys are listening to this episode in good health. I hope that you're practicing good hygiene because I don't know why I would have to say that. I would think it was second nature, but for some reason it's not. So I hope you guys are practicing good hygiene. Hope you guys are taking care of your mental. Hope you guys are taking care of your physical because um, all this is important. As I said, this this being in lockdown is it can mess with you. You know, uh, I speak to a lot of my, my coworkers as we've been working from home and a lot of them are just like at home bored. And that would drive me crazy. Granted, I'm thankful that I'm not home bored. I'm a gamer. So one thing I like to do the past time is play video games, but also I'm still going outside. Like my, my gym is closed, but I still wake up in the morning to go run. Um, I still like to do small things like go check the mail or, you know, just take a walk around a block if it's not raining because for some reason it's been raining for the past two weeks in California. I hate it. But um, even like there's a, there's a stater brother that's catty corner from my apartment complex. And so like if I need something like yesterday, I need it or Monday, I need an orange juice to make my smoothie. So I just walked to the stater brother. So like stuff like that, like just to get out and, and see, you know, outside or be outside before it does. I'm I'm. Hoping and wishing and praying that it doesn't get so bad to where we are also, you know, told to stay in the house unless it's for something essential. And granted, even if that is ordered, you know, you can still go outside. It's just like for our better health or our better judgment. That's why that is recommended so that we're we don't come in contact with someone who may uh, have the coronavirus. And so that we are not spreading the coronavirus in case we have it. But even just the sense of just getting outside or finding something to do to pass time, you have to do that because if you're locked in the house, especially if you're working from home, I'm pretty sure you wake up at like eight and you work to like five or six. Those that's a lot of hours just to be sitting somewhere staring at a computer all day. It's a lot. It's a lot of hours to be doing that at your job, but at least, you know, at your job, you get to, you get to drive or you get to commute to your, to your job, your workplace, you get to commute from, and then also you get a lunch break. And even beyond that, you know, you get pee breaks or you may step outside and take a call or you may get up to walk around and things like that. So you're just not stuck in one place the whole time. You can become stagnant in your home just because you're in your comfort zone. That's somewhere where you like to spend a lot of time. So just my advice to all you guys is do whatever you can do or find something you need to just make sure that you are not the person that's just like staring at a computer for nine to 10 hours a day, because that would drive you crazy, especially if they are planning on this type of stuff going on for the next three to four months or longer. I hope it don't last that long. But as I said, this is our new normal. And what I mean by this is our new normal, that this is our way of life until we're told otherwise. And we have no idea when the otherwise is going to come. So you guys stay safe out there. You guys take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones, whatever the case may be. And and just do whatever you need to do to 
not come in contact with it, someone with the coronavirus, corona, coronavirus. Um, yeah, man, that's really all I had on that. And more positive note, this past week, Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly celebrated its fifth year anniversary. Five years is not a lot, but when you think about the fact that 2015 was five years ago, it sounds crazy because 2015 felt like it was two years ago. I had to to come back to this and I had to speak about this on my podcast because that is I'm 27 years old. That is probably one of the most important albums that has dropped within my lifetime. Rap or not. Just across all genres, that's probably one of the most important bodies of work that have dropped within my time on this earth. Um, When I think about the subject matter, when I think about the the purpose of the album, when I think about the live instrumentation that was implemented, when I think about just the 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 way that they went into this album, it was such a great album. And a lot of people, you know, they love Kendrick Lamar's first album because a lot of people were introduced to Kendrick Lamar, uh, Good Kid, Mad City. I love Good Kid, Mad City, but when I think of Kendrick Lamar projects, I don't think Good Kid, Mad City is even top three for me. But I've also have been listening to Kendrick Lamar since like 2008. I think it was the first year or the first time my brother played uh, Kendrick Lamar's song for me. So I've been listening to him for a while. So like I've, I, I I know a wide variety of his body of work. So I have a lot to compare it to. Anyways, to get back to Two Pet Butterfly, I remember when the first single was released, which was I, you know, that I love myself with the with the Isley Brothers uh, um um, sample for some reason that first single was met with like a lot of criticism and I did not understand it for one the cover art of the or the single uh, art for the single it was great it was if I remember correctly it was either a blue and red bandana that was tied together or it was somebody with a blue bandana around their wrist and somebody with a red bandana around their wrist shaking her hands uh, shaking hands and that was a cover art, just two black males. Uh, actually, I want to look it up right now. I, Kendrick Lamar. Just because I need to explain it, and I need to be looking at it while I'm talking about it. Why can't I find this freaking single? Um. Anyways, that alone, I knew like, oh, okay, whatever Kendrick Lamar is offering, I'm here for it just because of him being on his positive stuff. And this is not something that's out of the normal for him. You know, Kendrick Lamar speaking on... On you know unity and and black empowerment. Oh no no no, that's what it was. The cover art for this single was a uh, uh, a dude, a black dude in all red, with a, a red flag hanging out of his right pocket, making a heart symbol with his hands, and then a, a black dude in blue with a blue rag hanging out of his left pocket, making a heart symbol with his hands. And that's the picture. You can't see their face or anything. You can see their hands and you can see their outfits and you can see their rags hanging out their pockets. And so this was the first thing I seen. And this was the first single that was released. So before I even heard the song, when I seen the cover art, I'm like, whatever he's speaking about, whatever he's talking about, I'm here for it. Because for one, I'm here for for unity. I'm here for black empowerment. But I also know that, you know, Kendrick Lamar being somebody who was raised in a certain area but he also played the the neutral role what i mean by neutral is that 
you know, he may have friends of a, of a certain affiliation or he may have family of a certain affiliation. And that may be the more the dominant affiliation. But he also have friends on another side. And he doesn't really, you know, proclaims he doesn't really claim either side. But because he has stronger affiliation with one side, he may be, you know, likened to that side. But he's neutral in the sense that he doesn't claim either. And so when I first saw that, this is like a lot of stuff that was going through my mind. Before I even played the song, I'm like, I'm already here for it. And I played the song and I hear the IC Brother sample. I'm like, okay, this is something I never heard of. Kendrick Lamar, you know, when I think about his discography, he has a lot of freestyles. He had a lot of remakes of a lot of albums, but it hasn't been too sample heavy in a sense of like outright samples. Like you have to, a lot of times if a sample incorporated within the song, it's usually like you have to dig deep for it. Um, and I could be wrong in this assessment. He has a, a, a wide body of work. Um, but this is just what I'm thinking. I'm just going through my head in 2000. I think the single was released in like the album came out in 2015, March 2015. The single released in like September, or October 2014. I vividly remember this album, this single releasing. So I hear the Icy Brothers sample. And I'm like, okay. This is this is what I want to hear. I want to hear what it, you know he he has to say, and then he get into the chorus. You no, know, I love myself, and I'm like, this is this is all I want to hear. Like this is something I've never heard from Kendrick Lamar, and I don't want to say that he's never been in empowerment, but him just being on just such a positive and him going such left because a lot of people coming off a of good kid, Mad City, they want to hear the stories about Compton, they want to hear stories about gangs, they want to hear the story about violence. This is what people are expecting from him, and mind you, this is his second album. So he went completely left and left all that and made his own lane. And again, I'm I'm excited for it. And then the song release, and then I'm playing it back and forth as I usually do with a, a when a single releases, and I, and I really love it. And for some reason, I think on this time around this time 2014, I might have still been active on Twitter. Um, if I wasn't active on Twitter, I know I still had a Twitter. And a lot of people are killing him for it for for what reason I don't know. But a lot of people, and they still kill him for this single to this day about just him being so positive and not understanding. And then we go on further along longer, and the video release, the video was even way better than the the song itself, the single itself. And this is something that I'm not surprised by when it come back when it comes to Kendrick Lamar because I can't think of a bad Kendrick Lamar video. Um, so the, the the video was was greatly was. Well, well, well directed. Um, they had the 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 uh, cameo from Brian Isley. Um, he paid you know homage to to Heath Ledger, the Joker, and Dark Knight with him hanging out the window. It was just a great, great song. Fast forward months, and then they released the the King Kunta. The King Kunta. DJ Quick is one of my favorite all-time producers. DJ Quick is one of my favorite. You know, a lot of people don't revere him as, as a rapper. But DJ Quick is one of my favorite Compton rappers. I don't know where I rate him as far as Compton rappers, but DJ Quick is one of my favorite Compton rappers. Two of his albums are two of my favorite albums that come, that come from out of the city. But anyway, King Kunta is the second uh, is the second single. Obviously, we know Kunta. If you don't know who Kunta is, it's a it's a, a character in the the legendary Roots uh, show. And just me knowing who Kunta is and him putting King in front of it. I was even more tight in, even more tight in than I was from the first single being released four or five months ago. Um, 
So King Kunta come out and this video is just the video and the song is is all well executed. It's what I expected from a single. Is is very confident. What I mean by confident is like just the funk within the single is is very confident. Like when I when I speak about funk, I think about DJ Quick and then DJ Quick being well influenced by like the the Funkadelics and the Parliament and George Clinton and stuff like that. There's a lot of like horns and, and stuff implemented in a lot of DJ Quick's production. And so with that song, one of DJ Quick's productions being the the song is a, a Mossberg song. Um I don't know why I can't think of it on top of my head right now. Uh Get Naked. Uh Get Naked was a young prodigy in Compton um one of uh DJ Quick's proteges in the nineties. He got shot and killed and he died young. But he was supposed to be just like the biggest thing from Compton at one point. Um fortunately his career was cut short. But anyways, Mossberg single Get Naked was the sample. So not only do we have DJ Quick production, but we also have a sample of a single of somebody who's supposed to be the the biggest star coming out of Compton at one point. And so again, I'm I'm all I'm all in as I as I was the first song. We have the we have the funk implemented within the song. We have the, the bouncy, the 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 beat that make you just want to boogie, uh, do whatever dance you want to do to it. But it makes you it makes you move. It makes you want to want to dance. And we have we don't get that too much from Kendrick Lamar. Uh, majority of Kendrick Lamar's career up to that point, 2015, has been just lyrics and storytelling. And so the singles that he has released, we think about Pull Up, Drank. Um, we think about poetic justice. Poetic justice wasn't a dance single, so like for him to to finally step out and make a dance single, and for that single not to be an actual dance single, but like a boogie single, it paid homage to just the roots of of coming from Compton. And that's just if if you go to a a house party in Compton in the early two thousands, you go to a house party in Compton in two thousand twenty, you go to a house party in Compton in, in nineteen ninety, you're gonna see a lot of. Wherever wherever they from, whatever affiliation, they'll be doing that walk. And for the people that's not doing a walk, they're gonna be boogieing. They're gonna be doing a two step, and they're gonna be putting a little spin to it, and they'll be doing the dips and all that stuff like that. So this already made me happy because I felt like I was at home. This is what the world needed to hear, and he brought the world to our backyard. He brought our, he brought the world to a, a, a barbecue in in Compton. And in whatever era you want to put it in, he brought up the world to there. He didn't bring that to the world, so I'm already was already tied in. Then the video came out, and it was even more of that. And then the visual implemented exactly what I thought from the single. You know, he a lot of his move is, is boogieing. A lot of his the dance moves he's doing in that. It's a lot of people from Compton within the video. They shot the part of the video at the uh, Compton Swap Meet, was is a very famous staple. Uh, and Compton, unfortunately, is not uh, up anymore. But I think when we think about just the big staples in, in Compton, it's the Compton Courthouse, the Compton Swap Meet, and Louis Burger, uh, depending on where you're from or where you're at. But anyways, loved it. And then from there, one of the singles that got leaked was Black of the Berry. And on Black of the Berry, he is he's going off. Um, and it wasn't even a whole song released. Once it got leaked, it was just his first single. But I was still remember playing it, just like what he was talking about on um, the song. He's talking about just basically, just uh, um, basically, this is the plight of a black person in America. But also, he spoke about something that made a lot of people mad. Talk about people being hypocrites. Talk about people being mad or enraged about you know protesting the the injustice of police department killing black people, but also black people 
you know, taking part in in killing people of their own by way of gang violence or by way of senseless senseless violence. And me, I had no problem with that. I love that he brought this conversation to a forefront because a lot of people think about it, but not a lot of people speak about it. And I think that that conversation needs to happen. I don't think that needs, that conversation needs to happen globally, but I think that that conversation needs to happen internally uh, within our culture, not outwardly. Um, but I, I was glad that he brought this to the forefront because, again, it, it made a lot of people talk. And then shortly after... We had suspected the album was coming. How do we suspect the album was coming? I remember him changing all his pictures on the social medias uh, to black. Uh, I think something had linked from iTunes saying that we should be expecting Kendrick Lamar album soon, whatever the case may be. But we didn't know when it was coming. And then I remember this date five years ago. Me and one of my friends had went up to Sacramento for a weekend. Um, I used to live in Sacramento, so I still have a lot of friends up there. We drove to Sacramento. For the weekend, just did a turnaround trip. We left on Friday, came back uh, Sunday morning. And if you don't know about, if you're not from California, you don't live in California, or even if you never driven drove to Sacramento, I don't know if it's driven or drove. I'm saying one of those wrong. Um, to Sacramento before, from LA to Sacramento without traffic, it is about an eight hour drive. So we left Sacramento sometime in the morning and we got home to L.A. just about it was dark. So it had to be like eight or nine. This is like with with stops and stuff like that. But anyways, in the middle of the ride, me and my homeboy, we switching. I drive four hours. He drive four hours. So I drive first um, just because actually I was living in San Diego at the time. So that was even a further drive. So I drive first just so by the time that I drop him off. Or by the time it's time for him to get out of the car, I can at least sleep and then drive to San Diego. San Diego is about two hours further. So if L.A. to Sacramento is eight hours, L.A. to San Diego is 10 hours. So I drive first, blah, blah, blah. And we're driving. Actually, we didn't leave in the morning. We left later. Uh, not to be going on around, but I just got to give you guys. I got to put you guys in the, in, the, in the state that I'm in just because I vividly remember it. And we're driving. And I remember it being nighttime. And... My friend is on a phone. I don't remember if he was on Twitter or on what. But he was on something. And I'm driving. And he says, oh, shit. Kendrick Lamar just dropped. And mind you, the world had no idea when this man was dropping. We knew he was coming soon. just because it was something up on iTunes and you could pre-order the album and all that. Even when you pre-order the album, like the icon for the album art was black. And the there was no release date or anything like that. Just you pre-ordered the album and you got the singles, which was... Uh, King Kunta, I, and I believe Black of the Berry. I couldn't remember if Black of the Berry was a single or after it got linked or it just got leaked. But anyways, those were the only thing available, only information available and pertaining to this release. And so he told me, oh shit, Kendrick Lamar just dropped. And me, I don't like to be on my phone even to this day when I'm driving. If I do, it's very minimum. What I mean by minimum is I check my my phone at a light or if I'm doing it while I'm driving, it's usually to change the song or pick a song. So he said Kendrick Lamar drop immediately because I'm someone who still buys the album. I go on my phone and I go to buy the album just so we can listen to it while we're driving. And we listen to it as we're driving and it's just like a whole like experience. Like one of the best thing, one of the best places to listen to the album is a car. Um, 
I don't know why it is. I don't know if it's because of optic or it's because when you're driving, like a lot of people like to drive to, to take their mind off of things. And it's like a escape. You know, I know it's like the the expression about just being on an open road and having no worries and stuff like that. I know that's a thing. But anyways, um, I think about just playing the first song and seeing that George Clinton is on the first song. Again, I got to bring you guys back to just my affinity for horns. I love, love, love horns, whether saxophone, clarinet, uh, um, trumpet, wherever the case may be, I love horns. I don't know why, but I have a, a huge affinity for horns. So this is the first song is Wesley Wesley's Theory. And you, you hear the pianos, you hear the horns, you hear the live instrumentation. I'm like, oh, he's doing something that I've never heard of before. This is 2015. I've been listening to Kendrick Lamar since 2008. And I'm, I'm already just tuned in. And the whole album is just a great experience. Like Everything is well-sequenced. I think that's not talked about a lot when we talk about albums. Um, and I think a lot now, especially in 2020, people don't listen to albums in order for some reason. Um, I'm one of the people who are still a belief that album needs to be listened to in order, just so because sequencing is important. A lot, of, a lot of artists don't care about sequencing, and they don't like to put you know albums in a specific order. Where the case may be, I still love sequencing. So when I see an album with an intro, or I see an album with an interlude, or I see an album with songs relating to one another and and topics relating to one another, I love that because I still love listening to albums from front to back from front to back. So from start to finish, this is a great album, but it's just the experience in itself and him, you know, speaking about topics that, you know, I may not know of, may not have known of, um, him speaking about just black empowerment, him, you know, getting to the, I remember the first time I heard that when we heard All Right, All Right was like at one point, I think All Right is like, there's a, the album is what, 16 tracks long and All Right has to be like track seven. I could be wrong, but I, I believe I'm right. All right is track seven. And I remember once we got to All Right, the album was already great prior to getting to track seven. And we got to track seven and we hear this just this anthem, just you know, just we gonna be all right. We gonna with a Pharrell production. I'm like, oh sh-. like this was the climax of the album at this point because everything else is like I'm tuned in I'm listening to all the information they're speaking about and it's also listening to lyricism and I'm also listening to just the theme and the topic that he's playing on his album but then we get to the, the all right and I'm like oh shoot this is this is the the climax of the album and this album is great like it's, it's not one I would still say to this day it's not one bad song on that album it's not one bad interlude on the album like if you listen to the album you still have to listen to the album from front to back Even though it has singles You still have to listen to that album From front to back to fully enjoy it Anyways we get to Alright And that was a highlight of the album The album was still great And I don't think Alright is like top 5 Best songs on that album But that was a climax on the first listen um, And then we get to the We get to the end Which was Mortal Man And I think that's probably One of the best songs If not the best songs on the album and Mortal Man is like 10 minutes long. And everything that he's speaking about in that song is important. And then 
I'm getting ready because I like to run albums back. I can't I can't judge an album off of the first listen because I may be going through something when I first listen to where I'm not paying attention. I may you know feel a certain way about the album on the first listen just because of I may have done something that was pissing me off and now I'm listening to the album. So now I think the album is the greatest album in the world. And then on the second list is not the greatest. I had to listen to an album release at least three times before I pass judgment. And three times is is the least. That's the bottom. So maybe four or five times before I really pass judgment. Um, but anyway, so we get into we get to Mortal Man and this album this song is like ten minutes long. I don't know the song is ten minutes long because I'm just playing it on my phone and my phone is is down. I don't have a this is two thousand fifteen, so I don't have a, a digital dashboard to where it tells me, you know, this many minutes is left in the song. It just tells me a track is playing. Actually I don't even think I've had that. I would just had an AUX uh aux court. Um that didn't display so in order for me to know like how long the song was or what was coming next whatever I had to look at my phone um anyway so Mortal Man is 10 minutes long and this is probably one of just like the deepest song we ever, we've had to this point um and then it starts to go off it starts to go down and he's given an interview and I think I can't speak for my friend, but for me personally, I'm thinking that he's giving an interview to himself and he's just speaking to himself. I'm like, oh hell yeah, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever he's saying, I know it's gonna be important just because of the experiences. This experience of this album has been so great from 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 top to finish, from start to finish. I'm sorry. Um, and then out of nowhere, we hear Tupac. <laughs> he asked he asked a question, and then there's like a brief silence. And then we hear Tupac respond. I'm like, oh, what? (laughs) I'm still like amazed to this day. Not when I listen to the song, but when I think about my reaction to hearing that for the first time. I'm like, what the heck did he just do? What did he do to get this? Because, you know, you hear a lot of you see a lot of interviews with Tupac. You read a lot of interviews. You see a lot of stuff played on media of interviews with Tupac. And at this point, it's like. There's not a Tupac interview that you have not heard just because of they get played out so much. And also because a lot of Tupac interviews were just as important as his music. And so a lot of people, you know, when they hear it, they like to pass along information. So I can't say that, like, there is a Tupac interview out there that I have not heard or not passed by just for the case of it's been shared, whether it's on social media, whether it has been through a different platform and say it's on TV or I've seen it on YouTube just because of how much it is shared because people really take to Tupac interviews because of the information he spews in the interview is just as important as the information he's spewing in his lyrics. Um, so when you hear Tupac speak, I'm like, damn, he just chop up a Tupac interview and just like make it seem like he was asking the questions or what the, what is the case whatever and then it goes on and there's like two more sentences and the way that Kendrick Lamar responded I'm like nah this is like an interview that no one has ever heard before and then after all this all the the album and stuff died down you know the information comes out that someone had like an unreleased interview that Kendrick Lamar got a hold of and he just basically just like chopped it up to make it seem like here's an interview on Tupac. Again, this is something we've never heard. This is something that was unreleased. And so I'm still like, I'm shocked by that. I'm like, hold up, run this album back. <laughs> because just because of like this whole experience we just had listening to this album was something that I've never had before. Even when I think about like my favorite album ever is Lupe Fiasco's 
uh, The Cool. When I think about the first time I heard that album, I did not have a reaction like this. Like, I still listen to the album to this day, and I'm still, like, very excited to listen to the album. And I'm still picking apart new nuggets when I listen to the album. And I'm still just, like, a, a little kid. Like, the album came out as a freshman. And so, I still think about, I still feel like I'm 14, 15 years old listening to the album just because of, you know, that album. That's where that experience takes me back to. But that experience listening to the album was nothing compared to this. And again, this. To Pimp a Butterfly is not my favorite album. I don't know where I put it in my rank of favorite albums, but when I think about just favorite albums ever, that's Lupe's Fiasco's The Cool. But the experience that I had listening to this album is second to none. And then just following everything they did, just with the, the videos that was released, the, the press release that they had, following, like he did interviews with, he strategically did interviews. Like he did interviews with only certain outlets. And every interview he talked about just the importance of just, you know, being home and, and him providing inspiration for kids back home and in the ghetto that he's from. Also, ghettos across the world, but this was the people he was speaking to. For him, you know, the, the, the album art of the, him and people from Compton being on a, on a white lawn, I mean, on a white lawn, on a uh, White House's front lawn with 40 ounces and, and money and shirts off and all this other type of stuff, it was just like, Everything that was around, like this whole, it's like a universe around this album. From the from the the merch, from the the unreleased album that followed it, from the uh, the press uh, interviews, not the press interview, yeah, the press interview, but also the performances. Like the performance he did following this album was none of the songs on the album, which prompted the the release of the un um, unreleased uh, album or unreleased EP or whatever or the untitled EP. Uh, I don't know why I could not get that word out, but just everything that that encompassed and embodied the rollout of this album was probably one of the greatest experiences that I have lived through. So that's one of the reasons that you know five years is not a lot, but I just had to speak about it because this is this is why it is great to have your own platform because you have to speak about these type of things, and that's what that album did for me. Um, maybe you have an album like that that did something for you, but this is what this album did for me. So huge shout out for Kendrick Lamar. Um, I will never forget this album. I will never get the release of this album. I will never get anything that followed this album. I never get forget the lead up to this album, just because this is like one of the greatest things I have lived through, and this still to the day is one of the best albums that I have heard. So once again, huge shout out to Kendrick for that. Um, I didn't know that I was gonna speak on that for that long. Another thing that I did want to speak about is Jay Electronica finally dropped. Um, I'm happy about that, but I'm not going to speak too much about it. The main reason why I'm happy about that, Jay Electronica, I think, is one of the best lyricists that people don't know about. And I was first introduced to Jay Electronica, I want to say, 2010. Um, my brother played some songs for me. Then he also made me aware of Jay Electronica, produced one of my favorite uh, recent Nas songs at that point. And... I was just very intrigued by Jay Electronica from just the release of Exhibit A, Exhibit C, um, the the mixtapes before that. Like his lyric, his lyricism capability was second to none, and a lot of people took towards that. And a lot of people like were just like, basically just like demanding an album just because of that's how great he was, and that's just where his his capability of rapping was. We never got an album. Mind you, this was 2010, so it's been like a decade we've been waiting for an album. And we finally got one now. And, I mean, it's everything I expected. I, don't, I didn't expect too much from it just because it took so long for us to get it that I was just, I'm okay with getting anything. I think a lot of people have criticized it because it was like a, a rollout 
It was like basically a Jay Electronica Jay Z album. There's ten songs on the album, and Jay Z only doesn't appear on two. One being the intro, and two being a uh, like one to two minute song. So a lot of people criticize him because his first his debut album is basically a joint album with Jay Z. I'm not mad at that. I think I speak about it on this on this podcast enough about how big of a fan of Jay Z I am. So anytime I get at least a 16 bars from Jay Z, I am excited. So if you give me more than 16 bars, I am overwhelmed. Not overwhelmed. Overwhelmed was a worse word to use in this situation. I am overly excited by that. I am extremely grateful by that just because that's the regard that I hold Jay-Z in. But also for me to get anything more than the 16th of Jay Electronica, I am grateful for that because I've grown to, being a fan of Jay Electronica, I've grown to a point to where I've just stopped caring. Like, he's not on my radar. I remember at a certain point, I'm like, damn, I hope this is the year that they say that, you know, we may get a Jay Electronica album or I hope next year is the year they say that, you know, we finally get a Jay Electronica album. I've grown to a point at 2020, 2019, where I didn't care. If, if I never got a Jay Electronica album, I would not have cared because I still thought of him to have been a great lyricist. Maybe not being nowhere close to being the best rapper ever or the greatest lyricist ever, but I still know his lyrical capability just from the songs that I've heard and from the features I've heard. So to finally get something, I'm excited about it. Um, I wasn't ready to put him anywhere in my top five i wasn't ready to put this album anywhere in my top five so i guess my expectations for this was was low in a sense but not even low because i still think he delivered as far as the lyrical capability um i got what i wanted maybe i didn't get enough tracks maybe i didn't get enough you know second verses from him but in a sense of me just being grateful from hearing from jay electronica and then pairing him with the best rapper of all time that was great to, to, to see that so I'm excited I'm just happy about that I'm glad that he finally released I don't know what this means for the future I'm not going to get into deep dive about that we already an hour in um, so I guess it's time to get out of here I do want to point out I do want to call out next week I'm going to try something different so I want you guys to definitely help me with this I think next week I'm going to try a little Q&A here on the Speak My Peace podcast if you ever want to ask me anything or you do want to ask me anything or you want to Ask for advice, whatever the case may be. Definitely follow me on uh, Instagram at Speak My Peace Pod. Once again, my Instagram handle is Speak My Peace Pod P O D. Um, if you don't have Instagram, you can email me at Speak My Peace Pod at gmail.com. Once again, I email is Speak My Peace Pod at gmail.com. Personally, I feel like I've always wanted to do a Q&A type thing. I just never had the outlet to do it or I never cared to do it. Um, cause I know a lot of people, they choose to do that like on social media. I never cared to do it on that sense. But for the case of the, for the sense of this podcast, I am going to be answering questions. So definitely tap in, hit me up, you know, hit me up, whatever. I feel like I shouldn't have to say be professional. Um, but if you're not professional, I just want to answer it. But I mean, I'm answering anything. Just you just have the word in a professional way. Don't be ignorant. Don't be saying stuff to where you're trying to warn a response to where it's like uh, disrespecting anybody or anything or something like that. Just, just, just help me in a, in the sense of that. I don't, I don't want to not answer questions. 
but I will not answer questions if that makes sense. Um, so definitely tune, tap in and hit me up with some questions for the next episodes. I will be answering them on the next episode. That's really all I have for this week, my piece of podcast this week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I can't stress it enough how grateful I am for you guys for tuning in each and every week. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, hit that subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you're listening on Google Podcasts, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you're listening on SoundCloud, make sure you follow me. Make sure you're liking. Make sure you're leaving comments, whatever the case may be. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Speak My Peace podcast another week. Um, before we get out of here, my what to watch this week is Who Killed Malcolm X on Netflix. Once again, my what to watch for this week is Who Killed Malcolm X on Netflix. Such a, uh, a great series. Um, kind of pissed off how it ended, but I won't spoil that for you guys if you haven't seen it already. My best kept secret for this week. Uh, we're going to go with Victoria Monet moment. Once again, my best kept secret for this week is Victoria Monet moment. That's the Speak My Peace podcast. I'm out. Fucking moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your motherfucking moment.